Bank Talk features thought leadership interviews with community financial institution executives on relevant banking topics. If you are that CEO or would like to be an executive one day, this is the podcast for you. Learn something new in each episode to improve the performance at your financial institution. And now, here's our host, Charlie Kelly. Hi, and welcome to Bank Talk. I'm Charlie Kelly, your host and partner at Remedy Consulting. Today, we're talking about the collapse of FTX. And from the folks that I have spoken to, there are certainly a group in the crypto community that has followed this, the collapse of this exchange very closely. Probably can't teach them a thing here on Bank Talk. But for the rest of you, what I think you probably have heard is that this trading exchange collapsed in the crypto markets, and there's a bunch of conjecture around why that happened. But today, we're going to talk to somebody who's been pretty close to the industry that can give us some of the details, and we can kind of talk about what that might mean for you as a community financial institution. So without further ado, let's get to Talk. Okay, welcome back to Bank Talk. Today I have with me Becky Reed. Becky is the uh, CEO of Lone Star Credit Union. And Becky, uh, first of all, thanks for joining us. Thank you. As soon as the FTX collapse happened, I started looking for a guest for the podcast. And oddly, I wanted to make sure I didn't have somebody that was too ingrained in the industry, potentially even somebody working at uh, a crypto, you know, somebody who's got a crypto assets as, you know, in part of their name. So after tapping a bunch of con- uh, a bunch of our contacts your name came up and i think after our prep session very happy to say that you seem to be very ingrained but uh, also feet on the ground i don't know if that's a great <laughs> introduction or not but i'm glad to have you here and and i just wanted to spend a couple of minutes just talking about this ftx collapse so thank you for joining me again thank you thanks for having me happy to talk about this stuff okay so let's see for those who are not close to this, we're not doing this podcast for folks that are deeply ingrained in the crypto industry. We're doing this for people who run a financial institution, community financial institution, who maybe are just one step off of the crypto space. So explain FTX. You know, what was this company all about? What happened with FTX or more specifically, who was FTX? So FTX is a crypto exchange. That is a place where consumers can go to purchase, buy, sell, trade crypto. And there are lots of those types of exchanges around. Binance, Coinbase, Gemini, Kraken, those are all examples of a crypto exchange. And there's two different types of crypto exchanges. So there is a custodial crypto exchange. And then there's a non-custodial crypto exchange. And FTX happened to be a custodial crypto exchange. And all of those other ones I just mentioned before are also custodial. I think before the FTX collapse, I think there was not clarity 
around the difference between a custodial and a non-custodial exchange. But uh, FTX itself was a non-custodial crypto exchange where consumers could go to buy and sell cryptocurrency. Great. Now, we had done a crypto episode maybe about a year ago, and we spent quite a bit of that conversation on the fact that the keys to accessing your, your digital currency are pretty critical. I want to spend just a couple more minutes around this concept of custodial, non-custodial. But can you just walk us through who can hold the crypto keys, right? I mean, it's, it seems like a simple question, but who can hold your crypto keys besides yourself? And, you know, just how many different uh, iterations are there of folks that might, you know, that might want to transact crypto with you? Sure. So there's three, basically three ways. So you can self-custody your crypto, meaning you own the keys. You can use a custodial crypto exchange where they hold the keys, or you can have your keys held at a non-affiliated third party. So somebody whose sole purpose it is to custody crypto keys that is not part of an exchange. So those are really the three things. And I think that, that where the confusion comes in is the custodianship, because when you buy crypto from a custodial exchange, you actually see it in your wallet and it looks like it's yours, right? Mm-hmm. There's a saying in the crypto community, and that's not your keys, not your crypto. So if you don't set up that, that seed phrase at the beginning when you set up your wallet, then you don't own the keys. And that's a key differentiator, I think, that that many folks uh, uh, maybe didn't have clarity or understanding into previously. It's certainly come to light more now. Okay. So I'm going to walk a use case here, if I could. And I, I want you to, because I think this is this is very critical, and I don't think that a lot of people understand it. But you and I, in kind of prepping for this, we had talked about all these places that wanted us, you know, wanted crypto to be part of their deal, right? At one point, you had talked about, you know, purchasing early on some crypto via Venmo. And my question to you in that session was, knowing what you just explained as far as who holds the keys, in a scenario where I hold crypto in my Venmo wallet, that would lead me to believe I don't own it, right? Because nobody gave me the keys. And and again, for a while there, at least it was intended to be transaction-based more than, you know, really an asset, I think. But well, let me stop there. Is that accurate? You know, and, and is that a scenario there where you're not the custodian? You think you own it, but you don't. Is Venmo one of those? Yes, I think actually that most digital wallets that you set up, most of the time you set up a digital wallet with a, a crypto exchange, right? I'll just use Coinbase, for example. You know, Coinbase has their own wallet and you download the wallet, you buy your crypto, you see it in your wallet and you feel like you know that's yours. And, and wallet is just the viewer of the cryptocurrency on the blockchain, right? So you buy... Bitcoin and it's in your wallet and you are you see it in your wallet, but it's just a viewer into where that, that crypto is actually sitting on the blockchain. It never leaves the blockchain. You're just viewing your crypto. Yeah, on. that's really interesting because uh, right. to me, it's it's sort of trying to bring somebody who's used to seeing dollars or fiat yeah. currency right, <laughs> into the crypto world. In other words, I have well, a viewer into something that isn't really right. mine. But if you think about it, it's really not that different from looking in your digital banking, right? So 
if you look at your digital banking, it shows that you have $100 in your checking account. Okay. Yes, that $100 is there, but it's just a digital representation of what it has been earmarked for you, basically tied to your account number, right? So, you know, it's not like we have a vault with your, your name on it with $100 sitting in it in some back room somewhere, right? It's just right. a notation in a, in a ledger. Really, when you think about crypto, that's all it is. It's a notation in a ledger. But in order to transact with that crypto, in order to, to put it somewhere else or sell it or trade it, the cryptographic key that has to be used to do that is your private key. So every, every um, wallet has a public and a private key. And your public key is um, what you give people who, um, you know, your wallet ID, right? That's your public key. Everybody can see that. Mm-hmm. Your private key is what you use to do transactions. And that is really um, what separates the custodial and non-custodial wallets. If you set up a wallet with those private keys, the seed phrase, the 12 or 24 word seed phrase, that means you own your crypto. So that, that's really kind of... Yeah, that's extremely helpful. And Venmo is absolutely, I didn't, I have no cryptographic keys. I have no seed phrase or anything like that. I just, you know, bought some Ethereum and it showed the Ethereum in my wallet. And that was, that was it. That's kind of your first foray, right? Right. (laughs) Okay. Let me take that just one step. So I, I know all the details are not quite out yet, but, you know, with the collapse of FTX, to my understanding, it was someone inside FTX playing around in those custodial accounts. In other words, you know, if I own Bitcoin, gave custodial access to FTX, FTX was actually using my money and made some risky bets and lost. Is that your understanding of, of, at least from what you've heard so far? Right. So there are consumer protection rules around custodians of securities, for example, and how they can't commingle the assets of the customer with the assets of the company. And there seems to be some folks in FTX who didn't feel like they needed to follow those same rules. And there's so many uh, folks out there that say that this really didn't have anything to do with cryptocurrency it has everything to do with just sheer fraud. And I believe that statement because there's a consumer protection rule. Uh, securities exchanges are required to follow when they custody a customer security. And I think because there was some ambiguity around whether cryptocurrency is a security or a commodity or what it is, that FTX felt like they didn't have to follow the customer protection rule. And so do I think that those rules apply to crypto exchanges? I do think that, but there still exists some ambiguity. But to your point, Charlie, yeah, yes, <laughs> that's what happened. They were just commingling everything. They, you know, whether or not they kept two sets of books or didn't have good records or whatever, you know, SVF is saying happened. The truth of the matter is, yes, they were using your crypto in order to do stuff for the business, whether it be investing in other things or buying real estate or whatever the case may be. Okay, Becky, so I have another question. My understanding with any cryptocurrency, any blockchain, is that it's on a sort of a decentralized ledger that describes every transaction. Now, given that, 
How can anybody who's a custodian, specifically FTX, if everybody can see every transaction, how can they be playing in the gray areas? So what you're asking is provided the clarity that blockchain and other distributed ledger technologies provides, how can there be a bad actor doing things without everybody seeing it? That's really what you're right. asking. Absolutely. Yep. So when a transaction is reported on the blockchain, when you buy Bitcoin, for example, you are using your public key in order to conduct that transaction, right? So there's a really long key that goes along with your wallet. And that information is what is available for everybody to see. So let's say that, that Charlie's wallet is, you know, Bitcoin one, two, three. And so everybody on chain can see that $100 of Bitcoin went into Charlie's, well, went into Bitcoin 123. What they don't know is that Charlie owns Bitcoin 123. Right. Yes, exactly. Okay. So, so from that perspective, you know, the owner of the wallet is somewhat anonymous. Okay. There's ways you can back into who owns it, but that part of it is somewhat anonymous. Now, what there is no purview into is what happens inside of that wallet unless it moves somewhere else. All that is viewable too. So if Charlie with your Bitcoin one, two, three decides to move it to gain, which is Bitcoin one, two, four, what shows up on the blockchain is a dollar move from Bitcoin one, two, three to Bitcoin one, two, four. That's it. That's all that shows. So the interesting thing is with the FTX collapse, because of the openness of the ledger, the charges that were able to be brought forth to um, Sam Bankman-Fried and to the whole FTX entourage, so to speak, mm. that happened quicker than any other type of charges like that in history because all of it was on chain. And they knew... Mm. They knew which wallets were owned by FTX and Almeida and the other related companies, Robinhood. So all those were known wallet addresses, right? So it was pretty easy to see the flow of the money. But unless you were specifically looking, then you wouldn't necessarily be able to tell what was. We'll be right back. You hear a lot about supply chains these days, because if the past couple years have taught us anything, it's that an efficient, well-managed supply chain is absolutely critical to keeping businesses successful and consumers happy. I'm Will Haywood, and I host a podcast called All Business, No Boundaries, where we talk about supply chains, how they work, what happens when they don't, and the innovations that are redefining what's possible in the world of logistics. Join me for insightful interviews with thought leaders and industry experts. We discuss how optimizing supply chains can break down the barriers that are holding businesses back. That's All Business, No Boundaries by DHL Supply Chain. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Right, but it would have had to have, if FTX wallet was you know, Bitcoin one, two, three, in order for it to have left the company, it would have had to exchange, it would have had to move out of their wallet. It may yeah, be, maybe, maybe exactly. what you're saying is that and it because did. of the exposure to just knowing that that was their wallet, they realized that the, that there, you know, a lot less Bitcoin ended up there. If that's right. A, <laughs> well, and just, just remember that a custodial exchange, it's still in their wallet. 
even though it's it's earmarked as an IOU for Charlie. No, understood. But at some point, it left the company, right? So it would have left their wallet, is, is I guess my point. And it point. did. Oh, yeah. They were able to trace all of that. That's ah, why the charges okay. came so quickly. Yeah, absolutely. Interesting. That's great. And and again, you know, it's it's just good to have, you know, your understanding of how these transactions work. Because it, really, the punchline, I think, when we started talking about having this podcast was, you know, there was a point, and it probably still is, where some of these, and I, I'll call them custodians because I don't know a better word for it, but there were certainly custodial type operations in the crypto space out there talking to various banks and credit unions about allowing them to act as an intermediary between let's call it the credit union and their customer. Right? Mm-hmm. So the goal in my opinion was you have the ability to hold this, this currency on behalf of your customers and get some, you know, maybe higher than average non-interest income out of it, right? Meaning Mm -hmm. either transactionally or what have you. So if you're a CEO of a community financial institution, how do you trust that ever again? And, you know, knowing this concept of custodian, et cetera, uh, I just, I wanted your opinion on on that or, or what, you know, what you could look out to for if you're, if this is something that was in your business plan a year ago. I think that, Having a clear understanding of the risks associated with custodianship it is an important thing to conduct your due diligence on. And uh, in the credit union space specifically, and I, I'm going to assume the community banking space as well, there were a handful of companies that were offering crypto exchange services to credit unions, and all except one to my knowledge, were custodial. And it's not that I think they were hiding that fact. I think perhaps there was some misunderstanding in the credit union space, and there there certainly has been some misunderstanding in the consumer space around what that really means. Because you hear custodian, and that sounds safe, right? It sounds like something um, that is is a a good thing. And I think if the exchange, the custodial exchange is following the consumer protection rules that are already there, then I think you have a, a reasonable surety that it is safe. Unfortunately, because of the ambiguity of the, the what regulations apply to who, I think that there was a lot of risk there from a credit union perspective. So for, for Lone Star specifically, that, that risk was too high. We saw that our members were buying cryptocurrency. We saw that in some cases they were buying it from unscrupulous exchanges around the world. And, you know, complaining to us sometimes that, you know, they had lost their money. And so when we started looking for an exchange relationship, being non-custodial or self-custody was something that was important for us because it greatly reduced the amount of risk we had. Another thing that we chose to do is just a referral partnership, no digital banking integration. And to my knowledge, all of the exchanges that were talking to credit unions in 2021 and 2022 were were pitching the idea that it should be integrated into the back end into digital digital banking. And I don't disagree that that's a good idea. It's just for Lone Star Credit Union, that was too risky of an idea because if I spend the money, it costs a lot of money to integrate um, third-party solutions into digital banking. And so if I spent that money, first of all, it was going to take a long time. 
And second of all, what happens if the exchange goes bankrupt? You know, now I've spent a lot of time and money and now I have a huge reputation risk. I mean, and potentially I've got some some financial risk as well uh, by partnering with a custodial exchange for at, at least for Lone Star Credit Union. Um, you know, dipping our toe into the water and just kind of moving forward in a uh, as risk averse way as you can with crypto was our decision. Okay. And the concept there would be that would allow you to move dollars out of your, you know, sort of fiat bank account and use that to transact in in crypto within their exchange. That's that's so, the integration. Is that correct? Well, there's there's no integration. So we have a relationship with Bank Social and there's no integration today. It's just a referral. So basically similar to when we refer you to our investment solutions provider, right? Mm-hmm. Who sells traditional securities and investment products. That's not something the credit union offers. It's separate from the credit union, but uh, we are mm-hmm. saying this is a trusted partner. And if you choose to use them and it's someone that we trust. So the relationship yep. we have with the non-custodial exchange bank social is that kind of relationship. So Lone Star has no part in the transaction whatsoever. It's purely the member's choice if they want to do business with bank social based on our No, understood. Role. Understood. And I guess what I was saying there is is the pitch, right? The pitch from the provider oh. was oh. Um, we should hook all this together. Right? Well, we uh, the, tie, yes, your, that, tie your customer the, accounts into yes, all Yes, all but one that I'm aware of. That was the only option was to integrate into digital banking. I understood. Okay. Yeah. And that, that I'm sorry, that maybe I should clarify that before we ask the question, but the, the question was the goal of these exchanges slash custodians was to make sure that you could move in and out of them fairly quickly. And that, that that's where the transactional dollars came in and the non-interest right. income for the, for the right. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Got the that. relationship with the third party and this, the sales pitch from the crypto exchanges was um, to to integrate with the financial institutions digital banking, right? To have that transaction be sort of a seamless transaction for the customer or the member. Yes. Okay, great. Well, this has been great, Becky. I, I certainly appreciate your time. Last question. What other implications might this collapse have? I mean, is it just a lack of trust, a loss of trust, right? Or, I, you know, crypto prices have fallen. And, you know, not that this is the first company that's dealt in crypto to fail, but anything, can you see something long term or what are, what are your thoughts about, you know, sort of the industry long term? Right. I, I've said this before in a, a few different ways. Um, I've said, you know, it may have started with Bitcoin, but it doesn't end there. Uh, I also have said that the cryptocurrency is the bright, shiny object, right, that everybody's paying attention to. And just because the volatility and kind of the whole excitement around the technology and the potential of the technology, you know, it's a very flashy kind of a new thing. But my interest in crypto really has to do with the distributed ledger technology, these decentralized networks, and how that type of technology is going to change everything that we do in the next decade. It's not going to happen overnight. Cryptocurrency is definitely going to change payments, uh, which is why I've really been paying attention to it over the last few years. We're not quite uh, there yet. You know, we need less volatility in the market, which is is what you just mentioned. Uh, you know, stable coins are part of that equation as well. That's a whole nother topic to discuss, but. 
I feel like this technology is going to be around forever and is going to change the world. And I liken this and, and others have likened it to this as well. Not just me. This isn't my idea. But to the dot-com boom, you know, for those of us who were around when, I mean, there was all this crazy investment money going into pretty much any kind of dot-com startup. You know, if you had dot-com in your name, you were getting millions of dollars of VC money. And I mean, unfortunately, there were a lot of projects that just weren't viable, right? They may have gotten funding, but, you know, the leadership was poor, the execution was poor, the idea wasn't good, whatever the case may be, and investors you know, lost a ton of money in the dot-com boom. And when the bust happened, it kind of weeded out the not-so-great ideas that were just getting funded because they had a dot-com in their name. And what came out of that bust was Amazon, Netflix, and Google. And I believe that that's what we're going to see come out of this crypto winter. I think things will stabilize the real use cases will start to come to light and the people uh, who are building in this space that have really good ideas um, are going to be the ones that change the world. Mm. That's a great perspective. And, you know, again, one bad actor shouldn't fold up an industry. I certainly, you know, in every scenario, when you get a bad actor, it, everybody steps back a little bit and says, you know, what are we doing here? And maybe that's a good thing. Right. Maybe it's a good thing because I mean, honestly, I think it maybe is. it'll flush out some bad ideas. <laughs> maybe the right. I mean, I do. I mean, yeah, I, I do think it's actually a good thing. It's it's certainly brought a lot of attention around the custodial, you know, model, which is not necessarily a bad model. I think there there's use cases for custodianship. I just think that there needs to be some regulatory clarity around it, so there can be that trust. To your point, so consumers and financial institutions and trust that they're following the rules. But yeah, I, th I think that there's so much potential that's happening here that it, it's a good thing. You know, hopefully there's not going to be a knee-jerk reaction and the pendulum swings the other way where, you know, regulation is too tight, legislation uh, happens that is, you know, a knee-jerk reaction to some of these bad things and, and gets passed too quickly without good thought process being put into it. I don't believe that'll happen because our legislature moves, you know, very slowly. And, uh, you know, maybe that's a good thing, too, in this uh, scenario. But yes, I, I think that the fallout here that we're seeing brings light to to the good things that can happen. And, and that's what's going to be coming out of this in the future. Well, that's great. Well, thank you, Becky. I, I certainly appreciate you spending a little time with us. It's been very informative trying to understand what's what's going on here. And, and like I said, I mean, sometimes I think our listeners just need clarity on you know, how things are moving about them. Uh, you know, myself personally, I, I probably have listened to four or five different interviews on this collapse. And even then, I, you know, it, it's, it's really this custodial piece is pretty interesting, right? Because, because custody doesn't come up in those interviews. <laughs> you know what I mean? The word custody doesn't really come up in those interviews. And, uh, you know, if I think from the purposes of a Somebody running a financial institution custody should be the first word that comes up when you start thinking about this. If your, you know, your intent is to offer it somehow on behalf of your customers. Yes, and I can tell you that that topic is um, spoken about a lot in the crypto community. The whole custodial, non-custodial thing has been, you know, not your keys, not your crypto has been around for a long time. I mean, Bitcoin was created to be self-owned. Right. And and mm -hmm. to completely circumvent that third party middleman. Uh, so crypto was 
was designed to be self-custody. So people who've been in the crypto space for a long time understand that. But I think with all the hype that's been happening, you know, maybe the, the whole fear of missing out thing caused people to to perhaps not understand all pieces of it. So now we're kind of seeing the fallout of that and, and the education that comes along with it, which, which is not a bad thing. Okay. Well, thanks again, Becky. Thank you so much for having me. Happy to talk about this stuff. It's fun. All right. Take care. Okay. Well, I wanted to thank Becky again for joining us. I think it's important that we had her opinion because she's pretty balanced in the way she looks at this. And, you know, like I said, I thought it was important for our podcast not to have somebody who is too strongly opinionated one way or another on this thing. So I think she did a great job in keeping that balanced. So that's all for Bank Talk. Once again, I'm Charlie Kelly, your host. Have a good day and keep on learning. Thank you for listening to the Bank Talk podcast brought to you by Remedy Consulting. If you'd like to reach out to Becky Reed, she's the CEO at Lone Star Credit Union, and you can reach out through the Lone Star website. If you like what you hear, please rate, review, and share our work with others. Thanks again, and we'll see you in the next episode.